Okay, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. Something that is very, very important to remember is how the law of the Lord, the Ten Commandments, was given three times. Three times. The first time was the spoken word in uh, Exodus chapter 20. If you remember in Exodus 20, all the people, they were like, you know, Moses, we want to hear of the Lord too. We want to hear from him. And so the Lord said, okay, you know, if you want to hear from me, that's cool. I'll speak to you and you will hear me. But then all of a sudden, you know, the people really didn't understand the magnitude of the Lord. And so what happened in Exodus 20 verse 18 After the law was given, the spoken word in chapter 20, verse 18 says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. That his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. And it's so beautiful because it was like the people were, the, I, sh- I shouldn't say, it's, it's so beautiful from, from Moses, from, from Moses' perspective. Because what's so beautiful is that, you know, he had the love of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, intimacy with the Lord, and the Lord used him mightily for a great, great, great task. And it reminds me of the Christian. You know, when we have intimacy with the Lord, we walk with the Lord, we pray unto the Lord, we're not playing games with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, there's this beautiful, beautiful intimacy. And then he says, you know what? I want you to do something for me. I have this task for you. He did the exact same thing with the disciples in our study in the book of Acts. You know, you see they're disciples. They have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they're called to be apostles, messengers. And he says, oh, I have this task for you to do. I want you to do this for me. Go and share the good news. You know, it's not like we have this Christian mentality and we get on a high horse, we head for the hills, and we just wait on the Lord. You know, it's that we do have this Christian mentality and we're not on a high horse. It's like a humble horse. And then we teach truth. We stand firm in righteousness. You know, it's like when you see like fishermen, you know, it's that's what we are. We're like fishermen and we stand on dry ground and we cast the line. Exactly the same thing what we do with non-believers. Some people will bite. Some people won't. You read the uh, parable in Luke 8 about the seed going into somebody. The seed is planted, which is the word of God. And then what happens to that seed inside a person's heart? Once the seed goes in a person's heart, you've done your job. You've cast the line. The seed has gone in their ear. And then what happens to them? It, that's between them and the Lord. And it's so beautiful because remember, the law was given three times. The first time was in chapter 20, the spoken law, the Ten Commandments. The second time was the Ten Commandments where Moses was mad. He comes down from the hill. He was, you know, with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes down from the mountain. And what does he see? The people worshiping the golden calf. All kinds of sick, disgusting things. Nakedness, lewdness, sexual activity, and worshiping the golden calf. And then he takes the Ten Commandments and he throws them down. He destroys them. 
So this is the third set of Ten Commandments that the Lord is going to give. I think it's so important because remember, what do we have today? What do we have with the gospel? We have the spoken word, what we're studying in the book of Acts. We have the spoken word. And it's very interesting because we're living in a day and age where it's like, yeah, we have the spoken word, but who has ears to hear? Who is really listening? We're going to see these Old Testament examples of the second coming of Jesus Christ straight up taught in verse in chapter 34 here in Exodus. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. And so here's the third time he says in chapter 34, verse one of Exodus. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. You know, it's very interesting. I'm not holding up the law. I'm not going to exalt the law. But what I will do is exalt the fulfillment of the law, the fulfiller of the law. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2 really quick. Romans chapter 2. In verse 11, we'll start in verse 11. This is a very important subject matter that Paul is teaching the church in Rome. And, you know, the church in Rome is predominantly Jewish. I shouldn't say Jewish, but, uh, well, Jewish, yeah, but they're like believing Jews. They're Messianic Jews. Jewish people who believe in Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, you know, it is written here, Paul writes, For there is no partiality with God. There is no favoritism with God. You know, the King James Version says God is no respecter of persons. You hear me mention that sometimes God is no respecter of persons. That's the King James translation of verse 11. He doesn't care you're rich, you're poor, you're black, you're white. He doesn't care what you look like, how buff you are, how pretty you are. He doesn't care about anything, your bank account, your car. He doesn't, he doesn't care. Look at the people he uses. Look at the people he chooses, Old Testament and New Testament. Look at the apostles, straight up fishermen. Fishermen in those days, it wasn't like, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or a priest. They were, just, you know, they were like uh, low society, so to speak. And yet he goes to them and says, hey, Peter, follow me. Follow me. He's no respecter of persons. And Paul continues, he says, for as many as have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law. And as, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. It's very important. You know, he's not, he's not lifting up the law because, you know, we're about to see, we're not going to get into it today. But there, it's, it's different. It's, it's not the letter of the law that the Christian follows, but the spirit of the law. And then you start to understand why God did these things. Why God put the law in the place. By the letter of the law, the Pharisees were blind to the Messiah. By the spirit of the law, people had eyes to see, this is Jesus Christ, the son of the most high God. This is the Messiah. And then he writes further in the book of Romans how the law kills because that's where condemnation is. 
He says here in verse 14, for when Gentiles, that's you and me, I'm assuming there's no Jewish lineage in us, but he says in verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Verse 14 is so incredibly powerful. Because God's law all of a sudden becomes nature. Becomes nature. You know how many times people, they, I kind of, I kind of, not to be offensive, not to sound offensive, in case anybody's offended by what I'm about to say. But you know, I think a lot of times people refer to human nature as a cop-out. Because you take somebody who writes code, for example, you take somebody, say you have the, uh, the, the person who authored a certain code for a certain program and functionality and software. And you're a user. And you're at the user end. You have your screen. You have your app or whatever. And you're at the user end. And then you say, well, you know, I don't like how this works. But then all of a sudden you make a phone call to the one who wrote the code. And the one who wrote the code says, okay, yeah, that's cool. But you're doing this wrong. And then starts to explain. Remember, you're talking to the author of the software of the program. The same author who can rewrite a different code. Put in a patch to make the functionality completely different. That's why sometimes I think human nature, the, and I say human nature in air quotes, I think sometimes it's a cop-out. Because the very one who can change the code that's in your heart is the very one who can grow our faith. It's just, who has eyes to see these things? Remember, Paul is talking about Gentiles who do not have the law. But he says, by nature, do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. That's where God's law becomes nature. I'll give you another example. You take somebody, I'll take my life, for example. There was a period of time where I loved alcohol. Alcohol was my God. I loved it. Today, I hate it. I can't stand it. I went out to dinner with a couple guys sometimes, uh, one time. And the guys, you know, they didn't want to order alcohol. They wanted to order alcohol, but they didn't. They said, no, we're not going to order alcohol because we don't want to cause you to stumble. And, you know, there's a side of me that's like, okay, I appreciate that. You know, thank you. But I don't even like this stuff. It's like it's not like, you know, you're going to have a, a bottle of beer here or whatever drink here. And I'm going to be like, oh, I, I'm going to stumble. Give me that. I, I don't even like it. It's not my nature anymore. Because God rewrote the code in my heart and in my mind. The nature has changed. The nature is different. And what blows me away, look at what happens here in verse 15. Paul is speaking about Gentiles who were not given the law, but who, you know, who, who do not have the law, but by nature do the things in the law. But it says here in verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. The letter of the law cannot explain this. The letter of the law is blind to the supernatural moving of the Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. 
Have you ever talked to somebody and, you know, unbeknownst to you, you have no idea about their history. And then all of a sudden they start to tell you their testimony and you're like, no way, this is impossible. Well, remember, all things are possible through God, through Christ. That's the changing of human nature. So we're going to see certain things about the law. And I'm not lifting up the law, but I am lifting up the, 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 uh, the fulfillment of the law, lifting up Jesus Christ. Because so many times in Christian circles, in fellowships, how do I say this? There's the strong advocation to the adherence to the word, which isn't a bad thing in and of itself. But where's the love relationship? At what point does religion turn into relationship? At what point does a person in their life see like, okay, the word says, okay, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and do this, do this, do this, don't do this. And you read the word, and it's like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this, do this, not do this. And it's just like, okay, you're, yes, you're following the word, but it's kind of like robotic, you know? But at what point does the word penetrate the mind, penetrate the heart, penetrate the soul to where your complete and total nature is changed supernaturally? To where it's like, you know what? I don't even like the drugs anymore. I don't even like the sex anymore. I don't even like the crack anymore. I don't even like this stuff anymore. I don't even speak the same way anymore. Because your nature has been changed. It's, it's where religion transitions to relationship. That's, it's, I can't do it for anybody. Nobody can do it for another person. It's very personal. God... And you. Nobody else. It's very, very deep. Very, very personal. But you know what? He can, Paul continues to say, he says, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God knows. God knows he's going to judge the secrets. He's going to judge motives. You can say like, wow, look at my ministry. Look at, I did, I feed the homeless. I clothe these people. I bring them into my home. I do all these things. And God's going to know the why. Sometimes people get involved in ministries just so they can say, wow, look, I'm in ministry. Look how holy I am. It's out of pride. And then standing before the Lord, the Lord's going to say, yeah, you did that. But do you know why you did that? I know why you did that. You wanted the accolades of men. You wanted the appearance of holiness. You see, that's the difference between religion and relationship. The Lord changes our nature. I should say the Lord can change our nature. We just have to let him. We just have to yield to him. I'm the one that has to get off the throne of my heart. 
You're the one that has to get off the throne of your heart. And yes, it's a scary thing to do. Very scary. Because you know what? You're no longer in control. I like being in control. But you have to admit him. And if you're like me, you have to be honest with yourself and say, look, some things are beyond my control. You remember when the Lord spoke to Moses at the bush and it's on fire, but it's not burning. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Lord is saying, you know, Moses, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to free the people. I'm going to rescue my people and I'm going to use you. Yeah, imagine what that must I mean, put yourself in Moses' sandals. What? I mean, the logistics of it all. And not to speak, you know, you know, there's logistics involved in that. And Moses is just a single guy in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. And the Lord is telling him, Moses, I'm going to do this and I'm going to use you. And if Moses was like, okay, and started applying his own intellect, his own logic, his own wisdom, you know, developing a plan, his own logistics, you know what happened? Failure. And what's so powerful in the book of Exodus, how many times do the people come against Moses and they're like, oh, Moses, you say you're of God, but look what happens. And then you see Moses fall on his face before the Lord. He prays, he seeks the Lord. You don't have to know the how, the what, the why, you know, the logistics, it's by his hand. Remember, this is coming from a guy who almost murdered his wife. In the act of murdering my wife. And the Lord stopped me. And then... If you ever say like, you know, oh, this is crazy talk, Jay, the Lord can't do this. The Lord can't do this. You know, in your heart of hearts, in your mind, in the depths of your soul, stop right there. Stop right there. The Lord can't stop right there and also repent because he can. He can. Look what he did with Moses. And it's so powerful because you know what? This law that we're looking at in Exodus, it's something, yes, it's the law. But remember, it was created with loopholes so that something better can come. And that something better is Jesus Christ. It points to Jesus Christ. I'll give you an example. So here I am, you know, we're walking with the Lord, we're in love with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're under the grace of the Lord, and then I start to beat on my wife, cheat on my wife, I got needles in my arm, I'm getting drunk, all, you know, I can't be a pastor. I am no longer in the confines of grace. I have left the confines of grace. Remember, Satan's a fisherman. I have left the confines of grace and now I'm under the law. So when I read passages of the Bible about the law, if I even pick up my Bible, the law condemns. And it freaks me out so much that I say, Lord, forgive me. I repent and I come back into grace. A lot of people like to take advantage of God's grace. Paul says, don't do that. 
Don't do that. It's not a good thing to do. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. You see how deep this relationship is? For God to even refer to Israel and say like, you know, I was a husband to them. But in verse 33, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Religion doesn't understand these things. Religion doesn't understand the depths of this holy relationship. Religion can't explain it. Yeah, you can read the Bible and say, okay, I'm not going to beat on my wife. Okay, I'm not going to do drugs. Okay, I'm not going to do alcohol. Turn the page. Okay, I'm going to preach the gospel. Okay, I'm going to do this. And you know what? You're like a robot. You're doing all these things. But what about the heart? What about the mind? That's religion versus relationship. It's a marriage. You see, like, have you ever, I mean, look at marriages. Do you ever see wives who are like robots to their husbands? I blame the husband. I blame, number one, the husband. And then number two, I blame the pastor. I'm talking about in Christian, Christian homes. Actually, I should work, put that the other way around. I blame the pastor and then I blame the husband. You see wives who are like slaves in their own homes. You see wives, who are, you know, I got to submit to my husband. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And they're like robots in their own homes. I got to please my husband. I got to work out. I got to look like this. I got to make this dinner. I got to do this. And they're like robots in their own homes. They can call it a relationship, but that's a pretty crummy relationship. I'm talking about a deep, 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 deep love relationship to where a husband says, man, she is me. And she can say he is me. It's like the two become one. That's the the spiritual thing that happens with us in Christ Jesus. Remember, we're the bride. He is the bridegroom. So we're going to look at these aspects of the law. But as new covenant believers, understand that I'm advocating the fulfiller of the law, Jesus Christ. It's not about religion at all. It's deeper than that. Just look at wives in certain homes. And they're robots. Oh, my husband says I got to do this. Therefore, I'm going to do this. My husband says I got to do this. Therefore, I'm going to do this. And they go to church on Sunday. And the pastor says, wives, submit to your husbands. And the wives are like, you know, yes, sir, we will submit to our husbands. And all the wives are like cookie cutter. Do this, do this. You go to women's ministry. They're cookie cutter. All the same. Yes, yes. 
You know, look at this book. He says, you know, do this. All these things. And you see why? Are they happy? I'm not talking about happy like, you know, they got a smile on their face. You talk to these wives. I mean, like, really, like, go down, you know, have a cup of coffee with these wives. And you talk with them. And they say, you know what? I'm miserable. I'm miserable. When does the Lord ever do that with us? Husbands. When the Lord says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. When does the Lord ever do that with us, husbands? I can be dirty, I can be filthy, and I can fall to my knees, and I'm right there with the Lord. I can be dirty and funky, no shower for two weeks. The most I've gone without a shower is two months. But I can be dirty as all dirt, like all filth. And fall to my knees and the Lord is right there. And then, you know, my wife comes to me and I'm going to tell her, hey, I don't want to talk to you until you take a shower. Oh, hey, you know, your breath stinks. Get away from me. That's what a lot of husbands, they treat their wives like. And then the wife goes and talks to, you know, in the ladies ministry. And all the women are like, yeah, you have to submit to your husband. The Bible says submit to your husband. You gotta, I'm not saying, you know, don't submit to your husband. I'm not saying that. But I am saying submit to your husband when your husband is submitting to the, Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what I am saying. A lot of families, a lot of children are in harm's way in that concept of, yes, I'm gonna, like you robotics, you know, submit. I will submit to my husband. I will submit to my husband. And then the husband starts doing their drugs, their sex, their alcohol. And the wife is, you know, yes, I will submit to my husband. And the husband's a fool. The Bible teaches a wife can save her family in submission to Jesus Christ. The kids still covered by the Lord and saving, you know, as through fire, saving the husband. But you have these crazy doctrines, you know, wife, submit, wife, submit, be a robot. What kind of relationship is that? A husband to his wife, a wife to her husband. And I'm speaking as a bride unto the bridegroom. I've talked with men before. They say, wow, you know, you talk about this. Don't you feel weird talking about yourself as a bride? Because you know you are a dude. Nope. I have no problem whatsoever. I love it. It makes me want to die more. It's like, man, I can't wait. I want to be with my bridegroom. I have no problem with it whatsoever. And these tough guys, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I'm tough. I don't want to do that. Well, you know, you have, to, you have to humble yourself. You have to yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Humility is a very difficult thing. You can be humble before the Lord or sometimes the Lord will humble you. Like with me, the Lord humbled me. And I was able to see these things. So we're going to talk about these things of the law and it's, it's not cookie cutter. It's not like religion law. It's relationship law. So let's go back to Exodus 34. The letter of the law, which is religion and the spirit of the law, which is relationship. And, and the writer here, Moses here in verse two says, so be ready. I love this because the Lord is speaking to Moses 
And the Lord says, so be ready. This is a military term, a state of readiness. You know, say, for example, you're on patrol. You have a rifle in your hand and you have a magazine, you know, full of all the rounds and you stick it in the chamber. And, you know, it's just a rifle with rounds. But to make ready is something totally different. To make ready, you pull the hammer back. The bolt comes back. The spring action puts the round and then you let go of the hammer and then the bolt captures the tip of it, the, the end of it, and it sits right. And you're, you're locked and loaded. You're ready to go. All you got to do is with your little thumb, you know, flip a little switch and you're off safety and you're ready to rock and roll. And that's what verse two is here. So be ready. Make ready. You say like for what? You know, I'm speaking it in like, you know, in military terms. But what God is about to give to Moses is a means by which the people, the people who were just worshiping a golden calf, the people who were just naked, everybody was naked, wearing their loose clothing. Everybody was like very loose living, you know, doing sexual things with each other. And, you know, it's that just happened. And Moses was mad. So the Lord was mad, too. And we saw in the previous chapter, when he says in chapter 33, verse 5, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, you are a stubborn people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you or destroy you. And he like gave a proposition to Moses. He says that Moses, you know, I'm just going to wipe everybody out and start fresh with you. And Moses was like, no, Lord. No, Lord, don't do that because of your grace. Don't do that. And so when the Lord tells him, Moses, so be ready, so make ready. It's for the people to be right with the Lord. We're about to see when this third set of laws is given. Remember, the first set of the Ten Commandments was the spoken word in chapter 20. And then the tablets, which Moses broke. But then this next set of law, the third set. There's sacrifice involved. There's blood involved. Animal sacrifice. Remember? Blood for blood. Life is in the blood. It all points to Jesus Christ. Remember they were like, you know, you come, you're here to do away with the law? The law of Moses? I said, no. I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law in the prophets. The followers of the letter of the law, blind and deaf. They didn't understand it. The adherence to the spirit of the law fell to their faces. Oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. We're about to see that with the introduction of Paul. Saul in the book of Acts. There's a purpose behind it all. So be ready. The Lord is telling Moses in verse 2, so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. Intimacy, more intimacy with the Lord. I wonder, you know, I don't claim to know Moses. 
But I wonder if that was like the best place for Moses to be. Yeah, the people are here. Yeah, he could go play basketball with them. Yeah, he can do this stuff with them, hang out with them, you know, have dinner and do all these things, which is fine. But I wonder if the best place for Moses to be was, you know what? I want to be with the Lord. I want to be with the Lord. Remember in the previous chapter, in chapter 33, verse 11, says he spoke to him as friends. They were, you know, as a man speaks to his friend, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. He was like, do you remember, you know, when the Lord is talking with the disciples and he says, you know, you guys are servants. But then later on, you start to read and he says, I no longer call you servants. But I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Like say, for example, say fur is a, like loaded and he can't clean the house because his house is a mansion. And so he, I say, fur, I'll work for you. I'll clean your house. And so he says, okay, clean my house. And then he starts telling me, okay, you know, do it like this because this is how I like it. And I say, okay, I'll do it like that. But then in the course of time, six months, a year, I fall in love with him. It's like, wow. And then like, you know, I've done my time. And first like, you know, you're free to go. You've done your time. You know, I paid for you as a slave. But here the door's open. You can leave. It's like, no, I love you. I want to be your bondservant. So like, you know, I'm, I understand that I'm free to go. But no, I want to live in submission to you because you love me and I love you. And so there's a hole in my, in my ear is pierced. There's like a, 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 a the, I, through the, the, the doorposts of... You know, the doorpost of the home, you know, I stand there and then first sticks it in my ear. And so like you're having dinner, a big dinner, and you see these servants, but then you see a servant, you know, with his ear pierced. It's like, whoa, this servant loves his master. And then in the course of time, I no longer have to ask for, hey, for how do you like it? Like, you, did you like, you like your, your, your couch pillows to be like this? You know, do you like your coffee at 8.30 in the morning? I don't have to ask him any of that because I already know. We become friends. We become intimate. I already know these things. That's what the Lord says. Hey, I don't call you guys servants anymore. I call you guys friends. Because you don't wonder about the master and his desires because your heart has changed. Your mind has changed. You've been re- the code of your human nature has been rewritten because you've yielded to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's totally supernatural. It's you can't explain it. It's supernatural. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy that you know, it is Old Testament. Moses and the Lord in verse 3, and no man shall come with you, shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. This is Moses now. So he cut two tablets of stones like the, of stone like the first one. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Remember, Moses is an old guy. No spring chicken. He's an old man and he's going to carry two tablets and walk up the mountain. An old man. All by himself. Now in verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud. I think this is so beautiful. 
The Lord descended in the cloud. You know, the Lord riding on the clouds, it's not a new thing to the Lord. A lot of times people look at Revelation. They say like, wow, you know, the Lord is coming. He's riding on the cloud. It's not a new thing to him. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You know, notice the positioning. The Lord coming down, riding on the cloud and Moses stood there with him. And what happens? The proclamation of the name of the Lord. It's the reward of intimacy. It's just straight up worship. Worship. (laughs) Moses is alone. Yes, you know, this is a type of Christ. When you look at Moses in these certain passages in Exodus, you see Moses as a type of Christ in terms of redeeming for the people, God's only begotten son and what he does, how he intercedes on behalf of his people. But what about Christ in you? What about Christ in you? When you're, you know, you're one with Christ. And then all of a sudden you just feel out of place in the world. Like, you know, those little balls that kids have and they got all these shapes and you got to put them, you know, they got all these shapes. You don't even feel like a triangle. You don't feel like a square. You don't feel like, you just feel like a weird shape. You, you can't fit in anything. You can't go Anywhere, because the world is like here doing its thing. And, you know, it's like, I don't, I, I don't fit here. Then you read the word and, you know, the Lord is like, you know, on behalf of us unto the father. He's saying, you know, father, these people, your children, they're not of the world. They don't belong here. And you read it. Read John 17. And you read it and it's like, wow, Lord. This is how I feel. I feel like I can't, I'm a peg. I don't even, like a weird shaped peg. I can't fit in the triangle. I can't fit in the circle. I can't fit in the star. I can't fit here, here, no matter where. I can't even, I try with all my might to shove in and I can't. And then you read these passages and it's like, well, you start to understand. I don't even belong here. This positioning that you see in verse 5, it's very symbolic of what the church is going to experience at the rapture. The Lord descending on the clouds and we're going to be right there with him. It's a time of straight up worship unto the Lord. Worship unto the Lord. You know, it's so incredible because you start to see these things. Look at what's written here in verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, guys, the Lord, Jehovah, the Lord, that's Jehovah, God, that's Almighty. So it's like Jehovah, Jehovah, Almighty, merciful and gracious, long suffering. Does that sound familiar? You know how many times people say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's very vengeful. He's not vengeful at all. His character is the same. He was long-suffering in the Old Testament. He's long-suffering in the New Testament. And because a day is like a thousand years, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day, you know, all these egregious sin, the golden calf, that was just like a couple days ago for the Lord. You know how fresh this is? I mean, have you ever been hurt so bad, hurt to the core that just, you know, maybe it was a week ago. Maybe it was eight years ago. Just the, the, it's so palpable sometimes. The pain is so, it hurts. 
Imagine the Lord. I mean, we, we read these pages and you think, oh, yeah, that was just, you know, several thousand years ago. All these things, the early church a couple thousand years or yeah, a couple thousand years ago. No big deal. Think of the long suffering of the Lord. Knowing that some of those sins, some of those egregious sins was just like yesterday to him. Think about how much he hurts. Old Testament and New Testament. You know what? It's not a different God. God never changes. Long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Remember the golden calf just happened. That's the previous chapter. The golden half just the golden calf just happened. In chapter 32, previous couple chapters, it just, it's so fresh. And yet the Lord is telling about, you know, the nature of the Lord, the forgiving and he, how he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. The golden calf was just destroyed by Moses. And, you know, you know, were the people destroyed too? Some of them were. When Moses came down from the mountain, he says, you know what? If you want to be with the Lord, you stand here with me. If you don't want to be with the Lord, you make a choice. And the people made their choice. Some of the people died that day. He says this, he says, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You know, for sin, blood atonement is required. Old Testament and New Testament, blood is required. You hear people talk about generational sin, generational curses. There's only one person, one man, capital M, who can break generational curses, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one. You see like dads in the world. Oh, come on, son, you know, you're 21 now. Let's go get drunk. Oh, you're 21 now. Let's go get drunk. Let's go get high. Let's celebrate your 21st birthday. You're now legal. Let's go to the strip club. Let's do all these things. It's a rite of passage. Stupid. That's the wisdom of the world that we live in. The only one who can break these generational curses is Jesus Christ. You see, it's so powerful. Look at verse 8. So Moses made haste. I love this so much. You know, I, I feel like I'm about 105. You know, the way my body feels, I feel like I'm 105. So I read verse 8 and it's like, ah, man, it makes me weep like a baby. So Moses made haste. He like he in hurry. And bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Remember, he's an old man. And he's carrying the tablets, so he has to place the tablets down. And you know, when you're like 10 years old, like getting on your face, it's a piece of cake, no big deal. But when you're old, getting on your face, it hurts. You know, it's hard. And so Moses, an old man, he falls to his face and he's worshiping the Lord. He hurried up about it. He made haste. That's why I love these people so much. These, like, all these people. Moses, Hannah, Ruth, 
such beautiful, beautiful people. You know what's so cool when you feel like just this weird shape that can't fit into the world? You open up your Bible and you're like, wow, this is where I fit, you know? I I fit here, Moses. I get it, Moses. I, I get it, Hannah. When Eli thought you were drunk, he thought you were crazy. I get it. And you feel like, wow, these are this is my family. This is our family. You read these passages. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses as we read in Hebrews 12. And so what do we do? The admonition or the the, the great exhortation in Hebrews 12 is since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside all these things. Let us lay aside all these things which can so easily ensnare us and run the race. That's the great exhortation of Hebrews 12. Why am I going to pick up this drug, whatever drug? Why am I going to stick these needles in my arm? Why am I going to pick up the bottle? Somebody says, hey, Jay, you know, let's go to the strip club. Forget about it. Why? So many people want to feel like they fit. They want to fit in somewhere. But you know what? When you follow the Lord, when you walk with the Lord, when you love the Lord, you don't fit. You do not fit. You will not fit. And so look what happens here in verse 9. Then he said, if now, I have found, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people or a stubborn people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. This is like Moses. He's like, I mean, if I had a daughter, I would be like, daughter, find yourself a guy like Moses. This guy is so beautiful. And a guy like Moses, you know, says, hey, Jay, I want to marry your daughter. Do it. Give me grandbabies. You know, do it. Go do what you got to do, you know. I don't know, you know. Yes, you have my blessing. I don't know how you do it. Never done it before, but... You know, it's so cool. It's like, that's what's so cool. You take these, people call these characters of the Bible. They're not characters. This is like our family history. This is like our book. You know, sometimes you go to a family's home. They say, they pull up these books. Oh, yeah, this is your great-grandpappy. You know, this is whatever, great-great. Look at the lineage here. It's like, take that, throw it in the trash. This is our family tree. This is our lineage. The family of faith. God's promise to Abraham. And you teach your kids, like, you know, baby girl, look at this guy. You know, he's, I don't know what he looked like. He, I mean, old, maybe he's chubby, whatever, you know. But man, to get a guy like this, you know, I'm going to pray, baby girl, that the Lord blesses you with a guy like this. But no, you talk with these guys. Oh, yeah, look at this girlfriend I have. You know, a guy came to me the other day. He's like, oh, look at this girlfriend I have. Oh, no, Jay, I got some problems. Can we talk? Like, yeah, sure, no problem. So we talk. Yeah, look at this girl. Is she a Christian? No, she's Catholic. What are you doing? Your last girlfriend we talked about, she was a Catholic too. Yeah, but look at her. And he shows me a picture. It's so stupid. Like, what's looks going to do? She's still Catholic. 
You know, oh, so, so she looks a certain way. So it's like, oh, okay, so, you know, go ahead. No, you, we get it. We, we make these dumb mistakes. I'm not trying to say that I'm void of these mistakes. You know, I still make mistakes, but it's just like we learn from our mistakes. You know, hopefully that's kind of like the goal, learn from the mistakes. But Moses here is interceding for the people. Remember when, you know, like in, in chapter 33, in verse 3, the Lord says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. He says, you know what? You guys go to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you because, you know, I'm going to be there, but I'm going to wipe you guys out. I'm, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to consume you. I will destroy you because of your stubbornness. And this beautiful, beautiful Moses. In verse 9 of chapter 34. Oh, Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. I know you said you don't, you won't go with us. But, Lord, come with us. Even though we are a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us as your inheritance. I love this so much. Moses is interceding for the people, a people who we're going to see, not just here, we saw it in previous chapters, we, we're going to see it in future chapters, future books, where the people, they don't even like Moses. Some of them do, some of them love him. But they just thought, you know, Moses, you think you're so hardcore, you think God speaks with you, you think you speak to God. Even Aaron and his sister, they thought like, you know, oh, Moses, you know, you're going a little too far, you're kind of in crazy town. And the Lord says, okay, we're going to get to that passage. And it was revealed to the people, wow, you know, Moses is with the Lord. It's so beautiful. That's why, you know, he's a type of Christ interceder. What about our advocate? You know, turn with me to Job 9. In Job 9, verse 32, this is Job. He, he's like, kind of like at wit's end, I have nobody. His friends came to counsel him and his friends were telling him things. It was like in La La Land, not applicable to him. He says in verse 32 of chapter 9, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. You ever talk to people? And they're like, oh, you can't question God. Oh, he is sovereign. You can't question God. You know, you can't even speak before him. Look at what happens. In verse 32, Job is saying the exact same thing. He is not a man as I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. And you know what's so beautiful? As new covenant believers... 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We can talk to him. You can talk to him. Yes, he's sovereign, but he's also your friend. You know, the, what, we taught, what we're taught in Scripture, to be a friend of God. The Most High God, the creator of all things. 
so many times we're, oh yeah, why do you pray? You know, there's no answer to prayer. You know what? You talk to like young kids, young millennials, present company excluded, who've never, you know, they've never been taught authority. Never been taught authority. And it's like, you know, they, they, it, it, it blows me away so much because it's like, wait a second, you know, like a father treats his child. Yes, he's the authority. Yes, a mother is the authority. But, you know, there's still the love there. I still love you as my son, as my daughter. I still love you. But to understand that, you know, yes, there's this, this authority role. I don't mean to say role, but a responsibility. But it's centered around love. You know, yeah, you know, yeah, I spank you, but I don't want you to stick your finger in the socket. Yeah, it hurts. I know you're crying, but if you did that, you'll be dead. It's so beautiful how our Lord guides us, how he protects us. And this beautiful man, the man Moses is interceding for the people in chapter 34 of Exodus. Going back to Exodus now. In verse 10, and he said, this is God responding, behold, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. You know, anthropologically speaking, a lot of people say, you know, you see how mean God is? He's driving out the Amorite, the Canaanite. He's, you know, like throwing them out of their lands. Well, don't forget, you know, Abraham had the title deed. Don't forget. That's going to be a big deal in the last days. That's going to be a big deal when Jesus Christ returns. Abraham had the title. People say, you see how God, how mean God is? Well, understand that people have strings attached. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, they all have strings attached. It's not to say like, okay, you know, the Lord is, you know, killing this. It's not genocide. You talk to liberals today. You talk to young millennials today. You know, ah, that God, he's a, uh, it's genocide that he advocates. I'm not down with that. Well, it's not genocide. These people have strings attached. These gods of the Amorites, these gods of the Canaanites, these gods of the Hittites, all these things. Wickedness. You know, you talk to, I heard the account of an adult, female adult who was molested as a child. She's in her home, a young girl, seven years old, and the parents, you know, they wanted to treat this guy, this downtrodden guy, they wanted to treat him with kindness and show him, you know, show him good things. So they said, yeah, come in, you can shack up with us. And he started molesting the little girl. 
And she was so afraid. She had no idea. She would go to dinner and the parents, they would be like, wow, this is my mom's friend. This is my dad's friend. And you know, they love him. They say he's a good guy. But look what he does to me when nobody's watching. He was like the babysitter. So the parents would go out and do these things. And, you know, he would take care of the kids. And he would molest her. And then, you know, they had they, they came across some money and they says, okay, we're going to leave this place. The, the, the mom and dad, they said, okay, we're going to leave this place and we're going to move to the other side of town. And then the guy who was, you know, hard up, you know, it was kind of, it's, it's sad to hear this woman's account. Because she says, oh, it was like heaven to leave that place because she's like, I'm leaving this guy. I'm leaving like it's all gone. We're going to start fresh. And then all of a sudden the parents were like, well, you know, this guy's still hard up, so we're going to bring him back. And then the abuse started to continue more and more. You know, you talk to children. I mean, it's, it's so sad. Children who've been violated sexually. I have to be careful because it makes me angry. But then you talk to them as adults and they're just shattered. 30-year-old, 40-year-old who's a victim of molestation and they are just straight up shattered. And it's sad as sometimes it's because it happens inside the church. Inside the church by pastors, by elders, by youth leaders, youth ministers. That's why these people... The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, they have strings attached. A parent says, you know, hey, you know, baby girl, you know, be good to this guy. We're going to bring him into the home. Yeah, you're showing, you know, the mom and dad, they're showing kindness to this guy, which is one thing. But don't forget that guy has strings attached. What is his nature? What God does he worship? What did the Lord free him of if free him of if he's even free at all? A mom and dad want to show kindness to this guy, but what are they doing? They're bringing Satan into the home to ravish the kids. And you know, sometimes people refer to this and they say, "Oh, you see, look at God, he's genocidal. You know, he's doing all these things. He's killing the Amorites, the Canaanites." But no, he's protecting his people. There's strings attached to the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. It's not to say that they didn't have an opportunity. Because you refer back to our study through Genesis. And what do you see through the lineage when the ark landed on dry ground? And you see, you know, uh, uh, the descendants, uh, Ham. I want to get it right. I think it was Ham. Who saw his father's nakedness. And the sons of disobedience. <clears throat> It was him. The father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and his two. And it was Shem and Japheth who says, well, I don't want to look at my dad's nakedness. So they walked backwards holding a sheet. And they covered their father's nakedness. It was Ham. Hey guys, look at dad. He's naked. Disobedience. That's what it speaks about. You know, the generational curse. Disobedience begets disobedience begets disobedience begets disobedience. And the only one who can break it is Jesus Christ.
He's the only one. So there's strings attached. It's not genocide. So look at verse 12, what the Lord is speaking to Moses. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Covenants, agreements with ungodly people are a huge trap and snare. That's what the Lord is saying here in verse 12. Take heed to yourself. Don't do that. A lot of people get in problems with business, in business. You know, they say, oh, I want to go into business and so I, I need a partner. And they say, okay, this guy's loaded, so I want to be a partner with him. And it's like, wait, if he's not a Christian, what happens? It's, you're you're, you're going to disagree. These covenants with the carnal. You see it a lot in business. You see it a lot in marriage relationships. Yeah, this guy's so cute. Yes, I'll marry you. The girl, the guy says, yeah, this girl's so cute. I'll marry you. And then five years later, they're going to divorce. Two years later, they kill each other. It's not my problem. Just take heed. You should have took heed back then. So many times people get themselves in the trouble. And the Lord is saying here, hey, take heed to yourself. Where's the personal responsibility? Take heed to yourself. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Remember, people, the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. People who have strings attached. Yeah, it's a conglomerate of people in here in verse 11. But what about personally today, applicationally? Yeah, I'm going to date this girl. Yeah, I'm going to date this guy. And you know what? Eh, he's a crackhead, but he's cute. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and date this girl. But you know what? She's um, uh, Zoroastrian. Or, you know, they do all that weird religion stuff. Or she's a Hindu. She does all this stuff. That's okay. I'm a Christian. I'm evangelical. It's okay. She's cute. So I'll go ahead and do it. Then you have babies. And then the wife says, you know, I want to raise my kid in Hinduism. You know, put the little dot on their head. And look how cute they are. And it's like, wait a second. This child is supposed to be for the Lord. This child is the Lord's. You know what happens? A lot of people... Do not take heed for themselves and to themselves. And what the Lord is saying here in verse 12, lest it be a snare in your midst. You know how many people are caught up in a snare today because they didn't take heed yesterday? In verse 13, the Lord says, but you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. So transformation happens when there's these Covenants, but these transformations happen either the people turn, you know, the people you know, join themselves to these other people. The, the God's Israel joins themselves to the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, or they stand for the Lord. The exhortation of the Lord is, you know what, go into these, you know, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. You know, Solomon 
son of David. David wanted to build the temple and he was so stoked to build the temple. And he says, Lord, I want to build your temple. And the Lord tells him, David, you have blood on your hands. You cannot build the temple, but you know what? Your son can build the temple. But you can help get the supplies. And so David would help gather these supplies so Solomon could build the temple. Except Solomon had a problem. He had a lot of wives. And he had a lot of concubines, which are like sexual slaves. And you know what happened? He's building the temple. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is so cool. It's for the Lord. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But he has himself a concubine that says, you know what? I have a different God. And then Solomon started to erect a different God for her. In respect and honoring of this is concubine number one. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to build your shrine over here. And then, yeah, for this other concubine, I'm going to build your shrine over here. This other concubine, I'm going to build your shrine over here. And what happened? All these gods in the midst of Israel, which became future problems for Israel. The same thing happens with Christians inside the church. That's what happens. You remember friendliness with the world is enmity with God. Be transformed into the image of Christ. Instead of being transformed into the image of fill in the blank. Oh, but this guy's so cute. I don't care that he's a crackhead. Look how cute he is. Oh, this girl, she's so cute. I don't care that she's Hindu. In verse 14. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord Jehovah, whose name is jealous. It's a trip. You know, you know, Jehovah Jireh, uh, um, all these different names for God, Emmanuel. But not too often do you see the name of the Lord as jealous. Whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Faithfulness and fidelity unto the Lord. God desires a pure bride for his son. God desires a pure you and a pure me for his son. In verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot. It's very interesting. This is a very hardcore message for pastors and elders, church leadership. A very hardcore message for husbands and fathers as pastors in your home. A hardcore, hardcore responsibility to protect God's flock. Verse 15, you know, as Moses is the leader and he's saying to Moses, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they, speaking about the people, Play a harlot. You know, leaders, the covenant of that leaders engage with and, and, and enter into can cause God's people to play the harlot. How it translates is to go whoring. I don't mean to sound crass in saying that, but that's literally how it translates. You cause the people to become whores. He says, and they play the harlot with their gods. Not the Lord. Not Jehovah. Not Jesus Christ. 
their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice to other gods. Not Jehovah. Not Jesus Christ. And you take his daughters for your sons. Oh, I want my kids to be married. I want my sons to have wives. So yeah, I'll enter into agreement with these people. Yeah, they have a, a plethora of females. So my sons can now have wives. You see, yeah, it seems so good. What a nice little plan. But you know what? Look at what's happening. You cause them to play the harlot. You cause them to become whores. And his daughters play the harlot or go whoring with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods, not to Jesus Christ. So a dad says, yeah, my son is 21. Let's go get drunk, son. It's a rite of passage. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're doing? Introducing your son to this foreign God that is not Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah, son, let's go get drunk. Let's have a good time. Let's go to the strip club. We'll get drunk over there. And yeah, we'll have a good old time. Do you know what you're doing? Nobody fears the Lord. Or what about pastors? Oh, yeah, you know, as a pastor, I'm going to go out and make a partnership with the uh, 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 Episcopal Church. The Methodist Church. And, you know, as, you know, church leader, somebody, they like that title. As church leader, I'm going to start to engage with these other leaders of the Islamic faith. Of the Baha'i faith. And we formed this partnership. And now on Thursday nights, we're going to meet together with these people for interfaith dialogue. Do you know what these pastors are doing? Causing God's people to go whoring after other gods? Leaving the fold of Jesus Christ and entering into these other gods, causing them to play the harlot? It's such a trip. This is happening today. Pastors who do, in the name of interfaith, they do these things, they say these things, they advocate these things. In the name of a dad wanting to be a friend with his son, a friend with his daughter. Yeah, you know, it's a rite of passage. You have to get drunk tonight on your 21st birthday. Stupid, stupid, stupid dads. Don't forget here, we're going to end our study here, but don't forget the egregious, egregious sin that Israel had just committed right here. The golden calf. And you know, this third time that the Lord gives the law, it's not just the law like we saw in chapter 24 or the law like we saw in chapter 20. It's still the law, but there's now a sacrifice blood atonement where the Lord says okay Moses I will go with you I told you guys I wasn't going to be with you because I'm going to destroy you but you know what I'm going to go with you now except now in, included in this law is blood sacrifice 
It's so incredibly beautiful. You start to see the nature of God, his mercy and his grace. Don't forget the blueprints when Moses, the, when Moses was on the mountain the first time with the Lord and the Lord is giving him these blueprints. In chapter 35, we see the fulfillment of the blueprints. You start to see the and act like it's actually in force and in place. You see God's love, his mercy, his grace. How he wants to cover his people. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to hold your hand and walk with you through life. But the problem is me. The problem is you and this carnal nature. That's why the writers, the, 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 the prophets of old, New Testament, Old Testament, all these writers say, Hey, get yourself a new heart. Get yourself a new mind. And that's what happens when we have the mind of Christ. It only comes from Holy Scripture. Only. Soul Ender study here. And 